0: Amen. So last week we talked about the garden concept of the deeper life, about growing with the Lord. What is God's part? What is our part? God is the one who develops the seed. We are the ones who allow the watering and the weeding. Uh, Are we allowing him to weed the things in our life that need to be weeded? And are we allowing him to bring, bring water? Are we going to places that are nourishing the seed of God in our life? Now there's a whole lot more that we talked about last week. But if you want online, we have it on our website as a recording, so you can listen to it again or for the first time. They don't, these don't necessarily need to be in linear form, so if you get one and you miss a week, uh, it's not like you missed what's setting up for the next one. But today we're going to talk about the idea of honesty. Um, honesty, contemporary spiritual formation or discipleship needs to deal with honesty more intentionally because our culture is predilection for dishonesty. For example, a recent Gallup poll indicated that 75% of the population felt that lying was necessary in daily life. It wasn't just a, oh yeah, it's okay. It was necessary, 75%. Excuse me, the older teens get, the more likely they are to lie. 13 to 15-year-olds, 37%, compared to 53% for 16 and 17-year-olds. Now, that was just a random Gallup poll survey. I'm sure that some of them were probably dishonest, and the numbers are even, even worse uh, than that. Um, prominent leaders in our government have been exposed in lies with so their approval ratings going largely unaffected. And this data was shortly after the, um, the Bill Clinton scandal. And so it, he, he wasn't affected. But we've seen that consistently, whether they're Republican or Democrat, if they're caught in lies, it, just, it doesn't affect. Approval ratings. Um, we have no reason to believe that the church has been immune to this ethical decline in dishonesty and integrity. In fact, I would say that the church has been matching it. Um, the, a lot of times the church follows cultural trends like this. And, and it, you know, we talked about on Sunday the issue of um, coming into church and trying to put something on so that no one knows that something's wrong. Where we don't want to judge people. We, we're talking about not judging people who come in that are messy, but we need to recognize we also are messy. but We just sometimes have been able to play church enough to hide our messiness. Tonight we're going to talk about the reality of it's okay to not be okay. That we can be honest about where we're at in life. The church is called to be the community of truth. Now let me just say real quick... On the handout that you have, some of it is going to be a little bit off uh, because this I edited this for me. That one is actually from the course itself that Ron Walborn teaches. So if there's a blank that you want me to help you fill in, I'll help you fill it in because um, I, I edited just a little bit from that. Um, truth, which is in, in Greek, it's aletheia. Now, there's three different ways to say this word. So many people get hung up on it. Um, the, the phonetic way in English is to call it is to say aletheia. But if you're going to go Greek, it's aletheia or aletheia. So it depends on how you want to say it. I just say aletheia because it's a lot easier. But anytime you see in the Greek New Testament, uh, anytime you see the word truth, it's translated aletheia, which means not concealed. It's unconcealed truth. Nothing is hidden. It's naked truth, if you've heard that terminology before. So it is the truest of the true. And there's nothing hidden within it. And so here in, in Ephesians, we've already walked through this in our, in our sermon series, but we'll walk through these again. Ephesians 4, 14, 15, and then 25 through 27. It says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow, grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ." Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all mem- all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So we are to be a community of truth. A community of honesty. And so speaking the truth to one another is, you know, admonishing one another to, to walk the right way. But it's also speaking the truth in what's actually going on in your life. So it can be really easy when you walk into church and someone says, Hey, Tim Johnson, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. Mm -hmm. Right? But are we actually, there might be more that we need to say. There might be some angst or pain or, you know, I actually need prayer because I'm going through this, I'm going through that. Um, We need to be a community of, of truth. So the church needs to be a place where truth is spoken in love. Grace and truth are vital to relationships. So if there is an opportunity or a need to call a brother or a sister out, when we bring the truth, it must be spoken in love. Because many times we can bring the unconcealed, naked truth, but we could not have love within it. You know, because it could be true that, you know, say, for example, Mary, you might be falling into some crazy sin, right? She's not. But I could say, Mary, you, you have this sin in your life. You need to repent and leave it alone. Well, there could be some love in that, but are you feeling the love? Am I, being, am I able to say, you know what, Mary, I really care for you. I really love you, and this path is going to be destructive. It will destroy you. Let's walk together. Let's move out of this together. You see the difference in the way there's approach? There must be truth and love. And grace and truth are vital to relationships. We all need grace. Each and every one of us need grace. I am going to offend or hurt or wound you. Even though I'm a pastor, that doesn't mean anything. I'm going to hurt people. I need grace. You are going to hurt people. You need grace. And so when it comes to the community of truth and grace, we need to speak truth in love. We also need to speak truth like, oh, you know what, Gene, you really hurt me when you said such and such. But I, I say that with grace. Right? It's not, I'm going to get you back or backbiting or gossiping about what Gene said or what Gene did. But there's that aspect of, of grace laced in the truth. Something I've been, um, I've been telling our staff a lot is there, there's the importance of short accounts. You know, when something comes up, make, have a short account. If there's something that happened where you might have offended somebody... Make a short account. Go and apologize. Uh, if someone has offended you, go and give grace and truth and say, you know what, here's, here's the pain. Here's what happened. So that it doesn't linger. It doesn't get held. It doesn't continue on. Uh, that's what the community of truth is. That's what the church is called to be. A place where honesty can, can live. In James 5, 16, we'll we'll talk about this verse a little bit later too. But it says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. This comes into the reality that we are to welcome our brothers and sisters into the true pain of our life. Where we say, here's here's what I'm struggling with. Here are the sins that I've not been confessing. Here are the issues that I need help with. Can you pray with me? Can you walk alongside of me? This type of vulnerability in our culture is scary. But this is what we're called to as the church. That we are to be a place of refuge and safety where Tim could come to me and, and confess sins. And we pray over one another. We pray for one another where we have accountability and honesty. Uh, and we'll talk about why that's important to the believer in a little bit. But we are called to be the community of truth. We should be living aletheia lifestyles with one another. And like we said on Sunday, the place that's supposed to be the safest is sometimes the least safe. When it comes to this type of honesty, because uh, there might be judgment or there might be, oh, well, you know, I can't believe you're doing that. I can't hang out with you anymore. Or, I can't have this conversation. But there should be this sense of grace and truth and love and say, okay, yes, you need to move away from that sin. How can I walk alongside you to help you? Um, you're repenting. You're confessing. How can we move forward together rather than shunning them away? So. Three Values of Honesty as a Discipline, um, Living an Aletheia Lifestyle. The first one is going to be completely different. The first one on your paper, it, it is um, that it the truth uh, confronts the sin of hypocrisy. So if you want to fill that in, the truth confronts the sin of hypocrisy. Um, so where we live that hypocritical lifestyle, truth will confront it. This one is new. So this, is, this isn't this is really A, it's technically B on your paper. Um Truth confronts our false self. Like I said, there's this sense sometimes that in order to please people or to be loved by people or to be accepted or feel like we belong, we have to produce a false self. Where we pretend like everything is fine. Where we put on a mask. If, if, if I were to give you a brown paper bag and I were to say, okay, on the outside, write everything that you want people to see about you. Uh, what, what you want people to think Or what you hope people think about you You might say beautiful or funny or goofy Or you know serious or smart Or you know whatever it is Godly whatever it is that you want But then you have to flip it inside out And say okay what do you really feel About yourself And write that on the inside Because those are all the, the lies That we are believing about ourselves, and so we have to pretend To be someone different So that we feel loved or liked Uh, And we'll talk about how, how true love actually needs truth. But truth confronts the false self. We can't, when we deal with the truth that God calls us to deal with, we cannot pretend in front of God. He knows everything. It's not, we cannot put on a mask. We cannot wear masks with Him like we can with one another. But we're called to not have a false self in the community of truth. And David Benner, he's a Christian psychologist. He said this, at the core of the false self is a desire to preserve an image of ourself and a way of relating to the world. This is our personal style. How we think of ourselves and how we want others to see us and think of us. And so we develop the self that we want people to see. We develop this, the self that we want people to like. For example, when I was in college, one of my good friends actually married my, one of my best friends from college. Her name's Siobhan. And... Uh, she was always the happy-go-lucky, like, always giggly, smiley girl in college. And um, she was always, always bubbly. And so you thought, oh, man, I'm going to go hang out with Siobhan, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get lifted up because she's so excited. Well, when she realized that she was putting on a false self, she recognized the reason why she wanted to be bubbly and happy is because that's what she felt everyone wanted so that they would like her. And so she was able to say, you know what, that's... I'm not always bubbly and happy. I have a range of emotions where I'm not always ready to giggle at any moment, right? Um, And so she had to ask the Lord to help her to to be who she was and to not try and put on a false self. And when she was struggling, to be honest, rather than pretend like she was fine. Um, We are confronted with our sin of hypocrisy. Uh, Hypocrisy is a Greek word uh, which basically comes from, you know, the hypocrite... uh, which means actor. Hypocrisy is an actor, someone who is acting, playing a part. It's not something that you actually believe. It's like uh, Julia Roberts pretending to be, or you know, in a, in a movie, being this one character, but that's not who she really is. And so the sin of hypocrisy is that we don't think that we're good enough. The Bible, we don't think, is telling the truth when it says that we are children of God, that we're beloved, that we are uh, welcomed into his family. We still have to put on a face to make others love us or to sometimes make God love us. And so we're playing a part in order to be loved. But we need to live from being loved rather than trying to live to be loved. Um, so in, in author John Bradshaw, I think this is a huge, a huge statement as we're going to unpack the rest of what we're talking about. But you are as sick as the secrets you keep. And you've probably heard me say at least four or five times in different, in different sermons the importance of honest confession. That the enemy wants to, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, in a little bit more definition, but he wants to keep us in the dark. He doesn't want us to step into the light. And part of stepping into the light is not allowing those secrets or those sins or those thoughts that we wrestle with, that we don't tell or share with anyone. Those things, we need to bring them into the light. Because the the secrets that we keep are the sickness that we live with. And the enemy can utilize that as ammunition against us. So the, the, the idea of excuse me living an alethea lifestyle confronts that hypocrisy and begins to deal with the secrets that make us sick. Three values of honesty as a discipline living an alethea lifestyle. Truth confronts hypocrisy and our false self. And truth is necessary for real healing. So, Psalm 51.6 says, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. And again, James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now here's, this is not a, uh, an A equals B, A plus B always equals C, But sometimes when we have sickness or pain or something going on in our bodies or our lives, that's unconfessed sin that is weighing us down and creating a sickness within us. You see, our spiritual life is connected to our physical life. We must understand that. That the the darkness that we allow in our spirit will start to manifest itself in our bodies. And so there can be sicknesses that are, are due to our unconfessed sin. Not because God is causing us to be sick, but because our sin is so weighing upon our spirits and our souls. That's where stress and anxiety can cause heart problems and all those different things. It's the same type of mentality with our spiritual stress or anxiety. And so this is why in the book of James, God says, confess your sins. Because if that's something that's holding that sickness there, it's not going to be released until you let it go. And so confess your sins, So that you may be healed. So true healing and even even the inner healing that we're talking about, this idea of putting on a false self or being someone that you're not or pretending to be okay when you're not, you're going to have deep, painful, emotional wounds that we have to be honest about, that we have to be completely truthful about. That healing is necessitated upon the truth. And, you know, where where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And the idea of of freedom comes with just bringing out the truth. Nothing is hidden. Being completely honest with where we're at. So truth is necessary for real healing. And this is probably the the most important one that I want us to land on for for a time. Uh, True love requires truth. If we claim to have fellowship with Him yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This is probably one of the most interesting areas in in scripture where, you know, if we claim to have fellowship with him, but yet walk in the darkness, we're lying. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The conversation is about sin confession. And honesty. If you and I are living in honesty with one another, if we're walking hand in hand in the light of truth, where we have, as as the book of Acts, where it says they had everything in common, it wasn't just that they all had the same job. It's talking about walking in the light, that they lived in a community of honesty. When someone was financially struggling, they were honest. They didn't hide it. When someone was spiritually struggling, they brought it in as common knowledge where people knew what was going on in their life. When there was pain, anxiety, woundedness, brokenness, they had everything in common because they were sharing life together. It was a community of honesty. And so when we walk in the light, when we are true, when I can come to Doug and say, I'm really wrestling with this. Can you pray with me? There's deep fellowship that happens in honesty. You know what happens many times is we say what fellowship is, is that we come together and we learn something and then we leave together or that we leave separately. But fellowship is something that's life on life. It's real. It's impactful. It's not just cerebral. It's emotional. It's not just emotional. It's cerebral. It's connecting and knowing and, and knowing I know you. Right? That's the sense of fellowship is that I know Tim and Tim knows me. This is the concept that we're going to unpack with our mission where it's this idea of knowing God and being known by him. It's a community of honesty. And so fellowship is meant to be walking in the light together. But too often in the Western church, we don't have fellowship like that. We don't have the safety of honesty where we could come together and say, you know what, let's stop prayer meeting, let's stop this meeting, and let's just, let's just talk about where we're really at in, in real life. 90% of us probably wouldn't feel comfortable being completely honest with where we're at. With the thoughts that we're scared of, or the sins that we find ourselves in. But the reality is, is that true fellowship comes in the light. Another thing about true love requires truth. Imagine, for, for for with me for a second, the image of that mask or the image of that paper bag. If you're walking around that paper bag and you put on that image of, say, let's just use Siobhan's example of the bubbly, giggly person, and like that's that's who people loved. But when you step back, you say, why why don't I feel loved? I'm surrounded around people. They they like me. They think I'm funny. They, they like it when I laugh. They feel cheerful when they're with me. <clears throat> Why don't I feel loved? Well, the reason is, is because they love your false self, not your real self. They love the person that you're pretending to be, but they don't actually, you don't feel them loving you because you know that that's not totally who you are. And so they love the false self, not the real self. And so we don't feel loved in fellowship. The same can happen with our relationship with God. The very same concept can happen. Where you might spend time with the Lord. You might spend time in prayer. You might spend time in the word. And you might journal. You might do all the spiritual disciplines. But you still walk away saying. I just don't feel loved by God. Why can't I experience that love? And that's where you have to ask yourself. Are you putting on a face in front of the Lord? I know I do it. I know before I really walked into the truth of this deeper discipleship. I was always putting on a mask with the Lord. And I wasn't intentional. It wasn't like I was saying, "Oh, well, I'm going to go before you and pretend like I have everything together." But I wasn't allowing the, what this says in um, in Psalms in the inmost yeah. parts. I wasn't letting him in my inmost parts. I was saying, "You can come this far, but no further." But he wants everything. He wants you to know that he loves you from the top to the bottom, from the out to the deepest parts. And that's where we have to allow ourselves to be loved by God by being truthful with him. You could look at you could do a word study of aletheia through the New Testament and you'll see time and time again it's not just honesty with one another. It's honesty from God to us and us to God. Over and over and over again, truth is imperative for love. Truth is imperative and that's why sometimes truth hurts, right? Faithful are the the wounds of a friend. Because sometimes you have to hurt someone with truth. But that's how you know you really love them. If I'm afraid to ever speak truth into Carol's life, if I'm ever if I'm afraid of like, oh she she might not like this, she's she might be angry with me, so I'm just not gonna say it, then, then I'm not really her true friend. That's not real love. Because real love actually, when you get life on life, you're gonna bump elbows. You're gonna you're gonna hurt one another. Because you're gonna be speaking truth and sometimes you're gonna actually accidentally hurt them uh, for a different reason. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. When someone purposely speaks truth and love to you, it's gonna hurt. In our society, what what they tell you is when someone gets that close to you and they wound you, run away from them, get away. But that's not what the scripture is saying. Fellowship happens in that moment. Iron sharpens iron. Have you ever thought that if you're a, a sword, it would not be fun to be hit by another sword to be sharpened. It's, I mean, we think about it in, in, you know, oh, that makes sense, but God is calling us sharpening iron together. Where Doug is iron and I'm iron, and we just, and then we sharpen one another. That's, that's the imagery that's saying, but we have to live with truth. We can't experience true love if someone loves our false self. We can experience God's love and the love from others when we let them love the real self. They must love the real self. So so here's the quick word I was saying about spiritual warfare. One of the primary ways the enemy tries to destroy us is with secrecy. He knows that love is the food of the soul. And if he can cut you off from love, he will starve you to death. So his goal is to consistently keep us living in the darkness where we're not living in truth, where we're not walking in light, where we don't experience real fellowship with God and others. This is his goal. His goal is to starve us of love. And when we feel starved of love, we try to please people more. We try to please God more. We're like, what can I do? What can I do to make you love me? What can I do? And we go in this big cycle of trying to please God. Rather than living from the love of God, we live for the love of God. And we need to be living from it and not trying to work for it. Because we already have it. Life in the flesh also feeds on deceit. If we're not living in the spirit and we're allowing ourselves to live in the flesh, we're going to make excuses. We're going to lie about it. We're going to hide it. Because there's that place where we say, you know what? I want to do this. That living in the flesh is, I want to go ahead and do this thing. And I'm just going to pretend like I'm fine, like it's okay. And one of the biggest ways when it comes to living in the flesh and living off of deceit is comparison. Comparison kills Christians. Because they'll look at somebody else's life and say, well, at least I'm not doing that. And uh, so what I'm doing is okay because I'm holier than that person. I might not be holier than this person, but I'm sure holier than that person. So this is okay. And, you know, I think if you're honest, you'll find yourself doing that from time to time. I know I do. Where it's like you're thinking, oh, well, you know, this isn't that bad compared to all those other things. But if the Spirit of the Lord convicts you, you shouldn't be doing it. No matter how light it might it might be. It might be that little white lie that you tell your spouse. Oh, you know, I don't know. I, was, I wasn't doing that. I was, I was over here, right? Whatever it is. But the Spirit convicts you. You could say, oh, well, it wasn't that big a deal because, you know, I'm not doing this. But no, no, no. It, it doesn't matter. Truth needs to be truth. And we need to not live in the flesh. Because the more... The more we lie, the easier it will be, to, be lie, to lie more. That's why he's called the Prince of Darkness, secrecy, hiddenness. His name is the Prince of Darkness because he wants to keep us in the darkness. All right, practical directives. Consistently do these things. A, I know it's really light. It should be bright blue. But in order to move from falsehood, in order to feel the love of the Father, in order to move forward, we must be honest in prayer. You know, when, you, when you're praying, uh, Paul talks about a prayer that travails. Are you, are you travailing in prayer where you're just saying, God, here's where I'm really at. Here's the anxiety I have. Here's the pain I have. Here's the frustration I have. Are you pouring it all out? Or are you, sometimes what I find myself and other Christians doing is that we'll spend time praying for other people, but we never are honest about what's going on with us. We'll take time, we might take an hour or two hours, and we have a list, and we pray through it, and we're saying, okay, God, pray for this person, pray for this person, pray, oh, I'm out of time. But we never really dealt with our own stuff with the Lord. That's like me hanging out with Doug, and I say, okay, Doug, we're going to talk about everybody else's stuff. You and I aren't going to talk about ourselves. We're just going to talk about all this stuff out here. That doesn't build that relationship of honesty. Because we can hide behind that. I'm not saying that everyone does. I'm just saying we can. And so in that time of prayer, are we honest in our prayer? If we're angry with God, are we letting Him know it? Or are we hiding it? If you read the Psalms and Ecclesiastes, they never hid their anger with God. If they were frustrated, if they were mad, if they were happy, if they were sad, whatever it is, they were honest. David was probably one of the most honest psalmists in, in the entire scripture. But he still had hidden sin. <laughs> he still was not being fully honest. And we saw how he fell. It's, it doesn't happen like that length of that depth of a sin doesn't happen in one moment. It happens over time. And so are we being honest in our prayer? Be honest with journaling. How many of you journal? How many would say you journal all the time? Once a month. Once a month. Okay. Well, a, a discipline, a spiritual discipline that can help. Um, and we'll talk about this later on in this, in this series on uh, deeper life. But a, a discipline that can really help is journaling. I find that many times when I'm talking about myself, and I'm, I'm trying to be honest and ask the Lord to... To bring truth and honesty and confession. I find myself, I journal that better. I, my thoughts flow a little bit better. I can be a little bit more honest because I'm slowing down and I'm writing it out. Uh, and then it's actually kind of rough because you look at it on paper and you're like, is that really what I'm thinking? Wow, I need more prayer than I thought. Um, right? And, and one of the greatest things about journaling is that you can go back and see when God answered prayer. You can go back and say, Oh, wow, that came to be. That happened. Wow, I don't even wrestle with that anymore. I haven't struggled with that in years. And you look back and that you can just praise the Lord. It's an opportunity for for praising Him because sometimes you could feel like your prayers just hit the ceiling. uh, But you have to look back and say, Nope, that's not the case. These things have been answered. God has been moving, God has been working. Um, I'm not saying you have to journal. But I'm saying it could be helpful, especially if you're starting this process of saying, you know what, God, I really want to be honest with where I'm at Uh, journaling. That's one of the best ways the psalmists found ways to do that. That's what the psalms are, poetic journaling. But keep your journals and reread them. Celebrate the victories. Uh, Be careful. You may want to keep them in a safe place. If you're going to be completely honest, you know, there are safe people to be honest with and there are unsafe people. To be honest with, because if Tim Johnson's sharing something with me and then the next day it's on the prayer list email from Julie, <laughs> that's, not what, <laughs> that's not what Tim needed. <laughs> right. So there are safe people and unsafe people. But when it comes to your journal, keep it with you. Keep it safe and also pull it out whenever you can uh, to journal in it. Uh, remember, it's not always safe to be open, like we said. Um, so being honest in prayer, being honest in journaling. Consistently do these things. Prayer, journaling, and be honest with close friends and mentors. Um, I can't spend enough time on this. Because I fully believe that every believer needs three people in their life. Three people. Each and every believer, no matter what your age, needs a Paul. Someone who is going to mentor you someone that is going to build into you, someone that is going to build you up, someone that's gonna challenge you in your faith, someone who's gonna call you to deeper life with the Lord, someone who is going to consistently pour into you and call you to a higher level. And that could be someone who is your, your age. Sometimes I've seen it where it could be someone who's younger or someone who's much older, depending on where your age range is. But every single believer needs a Paul. My dad's generation failed in this area. Failed. And he's trying to correct it now. Because as a pastor, he was never told, have a mentor. He never knew what that was supposed to look like as a pastor. He never had a pastoral mentor. And so when I was going to college and I was saying, here's what these guys are saying. I really agree with it. I need a mentor. He's like, well, I never had one. And... He's like, I really wish I would've. And so every believer needs a Paul. I believe it, to grow, to move forward. And so we need to have that Paul to be honest with. Because he might have already gone through or she might have already gone through uh, this specific struggle or area and they can help you walk through it. The second person I think every believer needs is a Barnabas. In scripture, you'll see that Barnabas was the encourager. Barnabas walked alongside Paul. Barnabas was actually the one who stood up in front of all the apostles and said, Paul is blessed by God. Let him speak. Let him do what he's called to do and leave him alone. Stop questioning him and let him do ministry. He stood by his friend and he was there through thick and thin until they disagreed on Mark. And then they separated ways, but then they came back together in the end. But they walked together. They challenged one another. They were friends. They were on the same level. And what, what, a, what a Barnabas is, is someone who you encourage and someone who encourages you. And this person generally, I would say almost 100% of the time, needs to be in the same stage and walk of life as yourself. Because it's that moment where, you know, Doug and I, we're probably in the same stage and area of life where we have kids in the same age ranges. We're, we're dealing with ministry, we're wrestling, you know, so like that would be a Barnabas relationship where there's that understanding, um, there's that connection where, you know, we can wrestle and travail with this stuff together. Because I might be dealing with baby stuff and Chad's like, I can't help you with that, that was 20 years ago, right, I, I don't even know how to change a diaper anymore. Well, now it's well. Now he has to learn again. Yeah, see. But but you know what I'm saying. So everyone needs a Paul. Everyone needs a Barnabas, and everyone needs a Timothy. Everyone needs someone that they are calling up and building into, and encouraging and developing. It's an important part as we follow that train of discipleship. It's all throughout Scripture. You know, it's all throughout Scripture, and we need those people. Because we need to be honest with them. If we don't have a Paul, and we don't have a Barnabas, and if we don't have a Timothy, who are our close friends and mentors that we can really talk to? Who are the people that we know that when we bring this stuff in honesty will call us to a better self? Will call us to a higher plane in our faith with the Lord? Because the goal is not just to say, oh, here's what I'm doing, oh, I'm so sorry, let me pray for you. It is a, here's what's going on, let me pray for you, now let me call you to something better. Mentors, encouragers, and even mentees can draw the best out of us. And so we we living in that type of close knit relationship with folks. And, you know, I was talking with someone just today, and, uh, you know, he said, I, I have never had a mentor. I don't even know what that looks like. I don't even know, you know, how do I go about getting one? And I'm afraid to ask someone to mentor me because that just feels weird. I said, if you ask and they reject you, what happens? You're right where you are right now, right? Don't be afraid, reach out, ask, and I bet you there's people that would love to mentor you, and they just were waiting to be asked and that's the That's the whole issue. I don't know where it happened um in in the American church uh when it comes to mentorship. I don't know. I don't. I haven't studied enough to figure out why it fizzled or dwindled or didn't happen. Um, you know, I asked my dad. I said, "What? What? What was it?" And it just it wasn't even part of the discipleship conversation. He said, it "Wasn't even something that we were taught. It wasn't even wasn't even a thought in the process." Um, you know, so I I don't know where you're at in that process, but man, I just challenge you really seek out the Lord and say, God, who's my Paul? Who's my Barnabas and who's my Timothy? And go after those people. Like last week we said, who are the people that nourish the life of God within you? You might already have a Paul or a Barnabas or a Timothy and don't even know the power that they can have in your life. Uh, Just who are they? Sorry, that was kind of a tangential conversation. Uh, But we need others to help us stay in the truth. You know, a mentor, he might be able to look at, at me and say, whoa, you know, Ron Walborn, who developed this uh, this course, he'll sometimes come up to me and say, whoa, bud, like, <laughs> what's going on? Because I'll be sharing something and say, oh, here's how this is going. He's like, whoa, what are you doing? Why are you saying that? Why are you jumping in that way? And he'll call me back to the truth. Uh, and the same with, with Barnabas' in my life, and even Timothy's. I, if, you, if you are a good Paul, I've learned that a good Paul is a teachable person. Uh, Paul, although he was strong and forceful, he was also teachable. Because remember that moment where he had uh, head-to-head with Barnabas over Mark? And he was like, look, Mark's a baby. He ran away. I'm I'm not taking him on a missionary journey with me. He's just gonna cry every time someone throws a stone. I can't handle it. And Barnabas was like, no, no, no. We need to love him. We need to encourage him. And Paul was like, You go deal with whiny boy, I'm gonna go do the ministry of the gospel. And Barnabas, blessed his heart, walked alongside of Mark, encouraged him. And Mark wrote the book of Mark, and at the end of Paul's life, he said, Mm -hmm. may Mark come to me because he is a comfort. Yes. Whoa, talk about teachable. He was able to see he was wrong about a person's heart. He might not have been wrong about the person's actions. But he missed the fact that if he could be encouraged and challenged, he could be at a different place. Even Paul was teachable. Reaffirm the love of Christ. We need people to reaffirm the love of Christ. If I am completely bearing my soul and I'm honest, even to the point of embarrassment about how, how I'm struggling or wrestling, and I pour out my heart to Tim, and even though I might need to be corrected and rebuked and brought back into righteousness, he will love me. And say, you know what, I love you. I still love you. That doesn't change how I think about you. That doesn't change how I love you. It changes where we need to go in discipleship. But it doesn't change how I love you. We need that tangible experience of brotherly love. We need it. It is so powerful in our lives to not just know that God loves us and to experience God's love directly from Him. But to experience His love from someone else. The love that only God could give. That, that unconditional love. And that, that's, that's the type of community that God has called us to be as the church. That's why when he says, they'll know you by your love, it's ridiculous. Someone could say, I totally just blew up your car. Well, we need to go to the police, but I still love you. Who does that? And now, now, that's not something that's going to happen, but it's an, it's an extreme example but the, the importance is that the community of love baffles the world. It, it doesn't make sense to them. So, consistently do these things. Be honest in prayer. Be honest in journaling. Be honest with close friends and mentors. And then be honest with yourself. Um, when, I, when I do discipling, one of the things that I've found is that people are not honest with their own thought life. When people sit back and say, okay, what are, the, what are the thoughts that I'm really thinking about? What are the things that I'm allowing my mind to go? Where, what am I really pondering? And I would ask some students this. I, I sat down with a young man and I waited for a long time. I said, what are the real thoughts that are going in your mind? On an often, uh, on an often basis. And I said, there's not going to be any judgment. Just be honest with yourself. And he wrestled for about 25 minutes, and finally he said, I've really been thinking about killing myself for the last three years. And he started crying, because he'd never said that aloud, ever. Not to God, not even to himself, but he knew that in his thought life, he was planning it out, playing it over, thinking about it, but he wasn't letting it out. He wasn't sharing and being honest with himself. And so, this is where the, the scriptures call us to take every thought captive. What the Bible is saying is saying, get in your own head and know exactly what you're thinking. And anything that is out of line with the gospel, hold it and throw it to the Lord. Have him incarcerate that thought because it is not of the Lord. Sin begins in the mind.
1: Hold that thought for a second, seriously. I, I, I've got to write this down. Okay. I'm not trying
0: to be funny. No.
1: Because oh, I've been struggling with that, that uh, verse. Thank you. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Hold every thought captive. It means that we're really listening to our thought life. Our, what are we saying? Because sin begins in the mind. It begins with the enemy speaking to our mind, giving us scenarios, and then we sit on them, and we rest on them, and we think about them. And that's when we allow temptation to happen. In James, it says that <coughs> temptation is the enemy finding our earthly desires and pulling them out of us. Well, our fleshly, earthly desires that we're in here, that we're not taking captive, the enemy can capture those, pull them out, and tempt us. And he knows just how to get us. And so that's where we have to take those thoughts captive. We have to be honest with ourselves and honest with our thought life so that we can hand it over to the Lord. The things we speak about ourselves to ourselves... If you're honest and you sit back and say, in my mind, what do I say about myself to myself? So if you mess up, you do something wrong, what are you saying about yourself? Not saying about the situation. What are you saying about yourself? Are you saying, oh boy, you're great. God can pick you up and help you. (laughs) Most likely not. You're saying, I am such a failure. I'm worthless. I always do this. I can never get out of this trap. But you might not say that with your mouth, but you're thinking it about yourself. Trust me, it's going to continue to to remunerate in your brain. And you're going to continue to soak on it, not taking that captive. Because that's a lie about your identity that you're allowing to continue on in your mind. The enemy wants to to take away the light, but the Lord wants to bring it. He wants to take the darkness of our thoughts, of our minds, of our ideas about ourselves... And he wants to throw them away and allow us to look at who we are, who our identity is through the lens of scripture. God says very specific, beautiful, wonderful, passionate, powerful things about our identity. And so we need to be honest with where we're at so we can say to God, you know what? Here, here's the thought that I need to take captive. I don't want to have this continue rolling through my head. And if you just keep finding yourself there, that's when you say, you know what, Doug? Here's the thought I've been thinking. Or we bring it to one another. That type of honesty scares the daylights out of the world. Because we don't want people in our minds. <laughs> but it's 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 a powerful tool of honesty. So I know we're concluding, it's only been forty some minutes, and we can kind of unpack a little bit, we can have questions, and then we can pray um, for the folks that are on our list. But the conclusion, choose to model vulnerability as a strength and not a weakness. Too often when it comes to being with people and the idea of being vulnerable, it's seen as a weakness. Oh, they're just being weak. Why can't they just get stronger in the Lord or get whatever it is that we might say. We might be fearful to be vulnerable because we might be seen as a lesser than Christian. Or we say, you know what, I'm wrestling with this or this, X, Y, Z, whatever it is. We might feel like, oh, you know, I'm supposed to be this powerful, strong Christian and here I am confessing this silly thing. Um... You know, vulnerability is a strength. It takes more guts to be vulnerable than it does uh, to hide. It's really easy to hide. Learn to live in the art of going first. Here's what I mean by that. When we gather together as people, when we have a time where we're sharing honestly. Excuse me, I need a water. When we're sharing honestly and we have a time of fellowship where we can live in this type of honesty. Many times if you say, okay, what what are you guys wrestling with? What are you struggling with? No one's going to want to go first. No one's going to want to share openly and honestly first. Maybe you noticed when I was candidating. In my very first sermon with you. I admitted struggling with pornography in college. Why did I do that? Because it was going first. There were a couple of men even afterwards that secretly found me and said, hey... I hope you come here because I'm wrestling with that too. It was that art of going first that gave permission to other people to be honest. Because if you're willing to stand up and say, here's my mess. In a group of people that are supposed to be believers, they'll say, wow, they, they did that. They confessed that. I can confess mine. And uh, I've seen it time and time again. I actually used this phrase in, uh, in my newest book, Unleash. Because as, as Paul's, that book is written to Pauls who are trying to develop younger Timothys. As Pauls, we have got to set the bar for going first. We've got to set the bar to be honest first so that we can set the culture for those that are under us and so the, those that are with us. And it's a lot easier to do that in a church than it is in a, in a finance office or where, you know, wherever you find your job outside of ministry. But it, it's an important thing, the art of going first. And one of the things it does too is it completely... Um, it makes the, the enemy impotent to do anything against you because you're preempting what he would try and destroy you with. You're saying, nope, here's what I'm wrestling with. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I need prayer for. And the enemy can't, can't use that against you anymore, right? The reason why we keep things hidden is because we don't want, want it to expose us and hurt us. Um, if you want a safe place, be a safe place. The, the church... Was a safe place. In Acts we see they had everything together in common. They were a safe place. And they drew people in thousands. By the power of the gospel. The drawing of the Holy Spirit. Because they were a safe place. And if we want our church. If we're saying we need to be a church of refuge. We need to be a place of honesty. Then those of us who are hearing this. And walking through it. We've got to be a safe place for other people first. If we want people to be our safe place. We need to be theirs first. It's the art of of going first. And something that that I've found that many Christians wrestle with is it is okay not to be okay. It is. It's not a sin to not be okay. It shouldn't be embarrassing to admit that you're not okay. Because every single one of us is going to find ourselves in places where we're not okay. Okay. And we need to be safe. We need to feel safe to say to the people that can lift us up and carry us along the most. Out of anyone in the world, as brothers and sisters, we should have one another's back. And so when I'm not okay, I should be able to say, I am not okay. And not be judged or pushed away or lose my belonging because I admitted my not okayness. Um, so, I know I threw a lot at you guys. Um, I'm going to pull up a chair, Tim. Can I grab that? Oh, sure. You better check with Rosella. Uh, <laughs> is this okay, Rosella? Yeah. i <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they went even further back. I'll tell you later. Oh, my. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I know, right? Watches I was in the, the third row at one time. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to
1: show
0: love when I came really in. I'll tell you later. Uh, number three. Yeah. C, f, S, and D. What are the answers? Hold on, I'm going back. Close friends, yeah. Oh, it's supposed to be spiritual, f- spiritual uh, directors, but I changed it to mentors. Turn, yeah, no.
1: yeah,
0: I changed it to mentors. <coughs> so close friends and spiritual directors is what it's supposed to say, but yeah. I changed it to mentors. Any uh any further thoughts or questions? Yeah, Chad.
2: Well, it's not uh um, it's, it's almost a little bit off topic. But one of the things when you said choosing to model the vulnerability, mm-hmm. one of the things that has, that I've noticed in in the world is that when you're willing to own when you've made a mistake, or when you're when you're willing to say you know what this this one is on me. Yeah. What I have I have never had anybody chew me out for them and in fact what I've always seen is that they've always been very open with me after the fact mm-hmm. for some reason there's a respect out in the world they don't do it but there's a respect in the world when you own when you think your own mistake
0: especially as a leader I've yeah. seen that you know when a leader will come out and um, you know, say it's a senator or governor and say you know what I've, yeah. I really messed that one up mm-hmm. we, need, we need to go back and, and, and adjust that but most, most governors and senators will say, that wasn't my fault. Oh, yeah. blame, blame, blame them, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. I, I think that there's respect for it because it's so abnormal.
1: Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> a couple of things. I remember when I was a freshman in college, you, there was the truth thing. We had to get around... Now, I'm leading up to something, so bear with me. There was a circle. You had to get in a circle, and everyone had to know the truth about everyone else. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, i telling you, this is a. Of course, Timothy Leary was our, uh, was the guy who was our, talk to us to. You know who that guy? doing oh you are okay know will talk to. <laughs> um, um, anyways, so no, he was the drug who we were in the '60s. But anyways, we'd be, and, and the girl would say, "All right, take off your mask." I'm going like, I'm a freshman. I'm scared. I'm going like. I didn't bring one. Come on. <laughs> Everyone has a mask. Okay. Now, look at the person with your mask off. Right now. I got these five girls looking at me, and I'm going like, oh, you I'm just going like... This in the world can be oh, yeah. It can be used in the wrong way yep. to 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 get into part of people's lives in, in a way that people are not equipped to handle right You're, you have to be equipped as a brother in the Lord to handle someone 's vulnerability it, it, it's not easy mm-hmm. i, I won 't be vulnerable with certain people because i don 't feel that they're equipped yeah. to handle all that i 'm going through yeah you know? and not, and not everybody
0: if, if you, you follow yeah. me here. not everybody's going to be a safe a safe, like with the journaling, not everybody is safe. But we right. can't use that as an excuse to never be honest. Right. True, true. Yeah.
1: true. Now, uh, the second thing I was going to say is that in my class, I just, with my class of 9th and 10th graders, I just, I made a stupid mistake. And I go, guys, I blew it. I, I am really sorry about blowing that. That is a classic mistake. You know what they said right after that? Huh. We love you, Mr. Johnson. <laughs> we just love you. I'm going like, so that kind of says, yeah. speaks to what you just said. Yeah. When you, or no, what Chad just said. What Chad said. Yeah. He said, you know, when you just own up to the things you've missed, have messed up, Yeah. people are much uh, more ready to accept the fact. You know? Yeah.
0: Well, and I think, too, in the church, there should be discipleship enough where believers can handle and can be equipped for people's honesty. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there are some levels and layers that will never be equipped unless you're a counselor or have been trained in some of those things. Yeah. You can hear it, but I'm not going to be able to help you with it. You know what I'm saying? Like we should all be equipped to, to hear what's going on and really walk through and pray for. And that's where some students, I had one student that came to me that um, we were in, at Pitt and we did a Monday Thursday service. The following week, she comes up to me and says, you know, I was going to kill myself on Monday Thursday, but I, I came to the service instead. And I said, well, we need to get you help right now. I said, I know, who to, I know who to get you connected with. I said, I am so glad that you brought that to me. I don't judge you. I don't look down on you. I love you, and I want to make sure that you get help. And she jumped into a counselor, and the Lord had it all put together because I was connected to a Christian counseling coalition. And the person that was matched up with her was the perfect person that she needed. Um, and I think she still meets with her now. But it's that we can't be afraid... To receive stuff like that, we just have to know where to send them. Does that make sense? Yep. So, yeah, any other thoughts or questions, arguments, agreements? It's okay. I just want to say when you were talking about this, I thought, well, you kind of really have to know the person to know if it's a safe place. Mm-hmm. And what popped into my head was the Church of Scientology. And how they use the truth against their their followers. And I
2: would um, say, so you really... I mean, I'm sure they trusted their
0: church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's just a messed up place. So you really have to know. Mm-hmm. You have to well, be very careful with that. And that's where the gift of discernment comes in. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit gives us the gift of discernment. Many times we don't hear teaching on the gift of discernment because... People don't want you to operate in the gift of discernment, <laughs> right? But there, there does come that. And it will ta- It does take time. You can't walk into a church and be like, ha! Ah! Right? Uh, there is that time where you build that relationship. It's, Paul didn't just find Timothy and say, hey, I'm going to mentor you. He met Timothy, met Timothy's mom, encouraged Timothy, saw the call on Timothy's life, brought the elders together, laid hands on Timothy, then sent him out. And, you know, it was a, it was a process. Um, and so there needs to be a process, but there also needs to be a process of discipling the believers of God to anticipate, desire, and live into the true gospel, the true um, family that we're supposed to be living into. There has to be this type of teaching... To not just inspire us to be honest, but to be inspire us to inspire us to be a church where people can be. Does that make sense?
1: I just wanted to say um, one of the first things that you talked about uh, the feelings and how it um, hampers healing in your body. Mm-hmm. Unconfessed sins, yeah. Yeah. When I went to Mexico, they didn't use sin, but they talked about the traumas in your life mm-hmm. and how it affects your body. Yeah. And medicinally now, they are looking into this and just seeing how truly it yeah. is related. And I mean, they've taken it so far as when they learn what your sins or traumas could possibly be, they can even tell what part of the body it really affects. Mm-hmm. Which is totally amazing. Yeah. You know, when you heard
0: yeah, and and I've seen that. Um the correlation between both, the the sin and the um and what you're talking about, the 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 trauma that brings it in because many times especially 20, 30 years ago, trauma that would happen was meant to be hidden and quiet. You didn't talk about your trauma. You didn't talk about your abusive alcoholic father. You didn't. You went to school Pretended like everything was fine. And you went home and dealt with it in silence and by yourself, you know? And that's, that's the kind of society that has perpetuated, so trauma gets held in. You hold it in your body, you hold in anxiety. I had a, a stomach problem uh, when my parents were divorced and I moved out, with my, out of my mom's house into my dad's. Anytime I would go back to my mom's house, I would have uh, uncontrollable bowels. I just I couldn't handle it just I would poop myself uh and I was 11 and 12 and 13 and that was the the trauma that was my anxiety and my trauma I couldn't that's how my body was releasing it um so it's yeah it's <laughs> it's incredible uh, how our emotional and spiritual lives are connected to our physical
1: but i I there- is, is that adequate? I don't want to know. No, yeah. Okay. okay. Aren't there, see, I'm going to my 50th high school reunion. And that is going to be a very surface conversation. Yeah. Because I, I haven't seen them for 50 years. But there are levels of conversation you have, and you're not being phony. Mm-hmm. You just know that in that in that situation, you don't get too deep because you don't know them. They don't know you, and you're just kind of on a getting acquainted, mm-hmm. reacquainted. And and I don't think someone is being at all phony or anything by um, just not getting into heavy duty stuff with certain in certain situations with yeah. certain people too. Yeah. Even certain people in the church. You, you just you just sense had a discernment, you know, I love them and so forth, but I'm not gonna get too heavy duty with this person. Yeah. Now, other people I can I can really get say here. You really want to know what's going on? <laughs> I'll tell you. Yeah. You know. And so I, I, and I don't think it's being wrong or phony or anything. Yeah. I, you know. I I think there's a balance there that you have to realize. Yeah. But if you have an ongoing type of facade mm-hmm. because you want everyone to love you, uh, the, uh, so you almost are living out a false life. I can yeah. see that. But there's a difference when, you know, you just, there are certain people that I'm sure we aren't going to get really yeah. in-depth with.
0: Yeah. We, yeah, you can't be at that level with everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you're right. I mean, there are people that you just can't go deep with. I mean, as a male, I only have a specific level of depth that I can go with any female outside of my wife. Bar none, done. Right, that's it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's a matter of when you're talking to people, we have to ask the question: Am I pretending, or am I being real? Like, if you go to your to your uh, friends, at, you know, you're fifty, and you know, maybe you were the cool guy, and you. No, I wasn't. If I'm, I'm just saying. But all of a sudden, but all of a sudden, you, you slip into present. if all of a sudden you slip into the cool guy. We're like, oh, how yeah. you doing? Oh, you know, yeah. I. Things are just—they couldn't be better right now. And you just—you—you right. you throw around these these phrases that aren't necessarily lies, but there's purposeful. You're angling for an image, right. right? So that's the question: is whenever we have those those engagements with people, are we angling for an image? Or are we just saying, I know I can't go deep with this person, so I'm going to keep it on the surface. Yeah. So that, that's right. not, we're not always angling for an image. But if we were really, to be honest with our, our image or our minds and our thoughts, there, there are times where we're angling for images that we didn't even realize we were
1: I, I just want to say one more thing. Yeah. I, I don't want to use surf, But see, when I'm going, I, I, am, I prayed about this. And I'm going to, I, I made up um, bookmarks for every person there in there, a blessing, I prayed about it, uh, Irish blessing, as a, as a, as a, as a bridge. Yeah. And, and a little bit of our anthem, and uh, Robert Frost, two roads in the woods, and so forth. And I did that watercolor to bless them. And I also did uh, an apple with everybody's name, first name on it, to bless them. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I also did uh, something else, uh, two walking sticks, I'm gonna bless them, because they haven't seen them in 50 years. That can easily be my old self, is I'm doing these things so people will like me. Mm -hmm. But now I'm really, as a Christian, truly in my heart, doing them because I want to bless these people. Mm -hmm. But I can very easily revert back into that old Tim that is just saying that, you know... Let's just do a lot of nice things so people like you. Yeah. But so I think it's coming before the Lord before you do something, and Getting your heart right before the Lord. Yeah. You know. So thanks yeah. for hearing me on that because I'm getting ready for my fiftieth year, <laughs> and I'm just
0: glad I'm able to do it. Yeah. Know, so. yeah. Totally understand. I think of the the communion. Uh, Paul talked about communion in First uh, Corinthians eleven. And mm-hmm. Just. Uh, I'm surprised that people that do communion, many never use it, but a lot of people do you know, aren't even aware of it. But it Says many of you are sick and even died because you haven't judged yourself rightly. Mm-hmm. And, and the Bible certainly talks about um, the Lord inflicting things on us because because of our sin is yep. judgment. Yep. Yeah, and uh,
2: absolutely.
0: You know, with surface with something like James 5 Yeah. confessing. Right, because there is a the, there's a correlation between sickness and your sin. If you when, release, when it's not, yeah, right, it's not just well this this is a drag on my system. This is you know the Lord was judging me and he. Yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely those places where God allows those sicknesses because He wants you to come to repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, I fully agree with that. I think that yeah, not not just that He allows, but he, yeah, He causes. Yeah, yeah. I I think when yeah I think there's a does it happen yes is it the normative I, I don't know if he specifically purposely all the time causes it because of unconfessed sin I think there's times yeah, where he allows ways it. He deals with it yeah and if we you know if we're struggling yeah. that's something to ask him yeah I mean he definitely uses that I, I think we're on the same plane of that yeah absolutely yeah
2: I heard Tim saying about him going back to his reunion, and he's concerned about that. I don't know if it was my 25th, my 30th, 40th, 50th reunion, I don't remember which. But I was, well, if you would read my yearbook, you'd really get a picture of what I was like, you know. I was called a clown, I called everything, you know. So when I went back to this reunion, before I went back, the girl was in charge calling me. And I was from the same town at the time. And she knew that I became a Christian. And she said, would you say grace tonight at the, at the meal? And I said, sure, I'll do that. So we were all mingling. And finally, they said time for the meal, and we all sat down. And uh, Peggy said, we well, it's going to ask the blessing. So I stood up, and I prayed a prayer of how good God's to us. And uh, how much we need him, and uh, I thank you for the food and our fellowship and so forth. And I said, Amen. Well, I don't know how, two hours, three hours went by, everybody talking to each other and stuff. And the end it came, in the master's ceremony, uh, talked a little bit about we when we'll see each other again. and stuff. He said, well, we're going to close now. He said, I think I'll ask Reverend Islander to close us in prayer, <laughs> and he he never seen my conversion.
0: Yeah.
2: And I said, Larry, that's funny. And I said, but if you're serious, I said I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't have to answer me. Yeah. And then finally, I think he said, Go ahead, go ahead, or something. Like that. <laughs> so I had the honor of
0: saying the wow. last prayer with the group, you know. And I that's like, awesome.
2: For all the years that he gave us and everything. But it, uh, it was a little traumatic at first, you know. Yeah. Because they all remember me in a different light completely.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I know you can understand it, George. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That, that life not changed all that much. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts?
0: Okay, I think we have the